You're listening to the all-new Darker Projects 4.0. Old favorites, new episodes. Only at darkerprojects.com. And now our feature presentation from darkerprojects.com. Darker Projects welcomes you to Quantum Retribution. Once you enter, you may never escape. To a precious few, it was a paradise. A haven from the hectic pace of the real world. To others, it was a nightmare. Nothing on this quaint island is as it seems. Beneath the tranquil lull of the ocean and the beautiful gardens, Dr. Nathaniel Lothman carved out a project based on Dr. Sam Beckett's theories on time travel. Hungry for the power to reform history to his own liking, Dr. Lotherman integrated himself into the project and became Lothos. As his staff work to his ultimate goal, their lives are held in the balance. Still vigilant to be who they are in a complex where danger lurks around every corner, their secrets lie buried and passions rest dormant. For how long? Last on Quantum Retribution. Would you care to know about your mother? Who she is and why she chose not to raise you personally? I, I want to know everything about my parents, both my father and my mother. But I don't understand, Lothus. Why are you telling me now, when you've known all this time that I've been searching for the answers? What I did was done in your best interests, Tala, so that you would develop your own sense of self, rather than for you to attempt to fit a mold based on your parentage. At this moment, your mother is in a serious condition. I believe that you should come to know her to help her. What's happened to her that she's now in a serious condition? Is she ill? She was shot in the back and will never walk again. Dr. Malvison? Lothus? Are you... Are you saying that Dr. Malvison is my mother? Yes, Tyler. Dr. Zoe Malvison is your mother. So why was I shirked to the side like a cloth all tattered and torn? Was I not up to her standards when I was born? Or was it something totally different? Oh, hell, and what of my father? Who is he? And why hasn't he been involved in my life? Why, Lothus? Tell me! Tell me everything right now, because I'm not leaving here until you do! Tell me! I have always watched over you, just as I always will, my child. Why didn't you tell me long ago? Your individuality would have been shattered. To hell with individuality! I can't believe that you kept this from me! How dare you! You are out of line, Tala! So... are you, father? Take care, Tala. 
Do not think that because you are my daughter that I will not treat you as I treat everyone in this complex. It's alright, Tala. Try to relax. You're going to be fine just as soon as the epinephrine gets in your system. This doesn't change anything. I did not expect it to. Attend to her, Dr. Grant. When she has recovered sufficiently from the attack, she is to go to correction for 24 hours for insolence. Carla tried to relax herself before Jessica began, but with the first bite of the whip, the tension flew back into her body with a vengeance, and she screamed. <coughs> the pain was the only constant reminder of what Lothos had done to her, what Zoe had done to her, what Edward had done, how everyone had deceived her, keeping her in the dark. Lothos, my father has... more than she will with her whip God, if uh, if I can bear that hurt oh, this should be a breeze Jessica deliberately delivered each lash with certain precision overlapping each stroke slightly over the one before as she kept a sharp watch on Tala's breathing patterns she noticed that after the first scream, Tala only whimpered from time to time. Only the tears falling down her face told Jessica that she was getting the effect that she wanted. Finally, the first session, save for five minutes, was over. You want some more water? Uh, please. How's your breathing? I'm okay. Don't play games with me, Miss Lotherman. Do you need that inhaler? It was in that moment when Tala turned her head towards her that Jessica saw the stubborn look in the young woman's eyes. Grabbing a handful of Tala's hair, she jerked her head, forcing her to face her. Look, you've got 23 more hours of correction coming. Whether you get it all at the same time or spread it out over three days makes no difference to me. You're still going to get every second of it. Now let's save both you and I some time. And you, two extra days in here. I'm going to ask you again. Do you need that inhaler? Ma'am. I heard what Dr. Hugan said as clearly as you did. I'm not going to get anyone in trouble because of my asthma. I give you my word that I will inform you as to when I need it. At the moment, I don't need it. I've never gone back on my word. Why would I start now? Very well. You want some more water? As the hour passed, Tala's thoughts were directed at Lothos, her father. Reviewing her life, she realized that though unaware of it until a short while ago, her father, her true father, 
had always been there for her and giving Tala the undivided attention that she needed. I have always watched over you, just as I always will, my child. More? No, thank you. Tala watched as the TM turned away, then turned her face to the wall again and tried to prepare herself for the lashes to resume. When they didn't, she turned her head. She saw Jessica nodding her head and whispering softly. Yes, Marcos. It shall be done. Jessica set the cup on the table once again, then returned to Tala and released her from the chains, noting Tala's clearly curious expression. Mindful of the orders just given to her by Lothos through the implants in her ears, the TM crossed the cell to a small locker. From the locker, Jessica took a length of white cloth, then went to the naked woman chained to the wall, and handed the cloth to her. Here. What? What's this for? I'm taking you to the personal facilities. Wrap the cloth around yourself. It's not for me to question why, but Lothos has ordered that you are not to be taken into the halls naked. There's no fastener. Then I suggest you keep a firm hold on it. After this first time, Miss Lothaman, you will walk ahead of me when you are taken to the facilities. For now, you will walk beside me. Further, you will not speak to anyone but me, and then only when I address you directly. Disobey, and I will have the right to add an additional ten minutes to your punishment. And I will do just that. Yes, ma'am. This section of the correctional facility where minor infractions were addressed was, as always, busy. It was also a cold reality check for Lothos's youngest daughter as she glanced around at some of the other correctees. She noted that all of the other correctees were naked, their only adornments being myriad angry red welts, not a few of which were bleeding. The sudden realization that she was the only one covered infused further heat into Tala's feelings of embarrassment. The trip to the facilities was accomplished, and Jessica returned her charge to the cell. Give me the cloth. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Hugan said I was to rest for five minutes every hour. But it's been longer than that five minutes. Does he mean that I won't get five minutes this hour? White stance, arms up and wide. Settling into a pattern, Jessica resumed the prescribed punishment. The TM could tell from Tala's expression and body language that she was beginning to feel like everyone ordered to this place. Will this ever end? As the end of the punishment neared, Jessica realized that her charge was no longer crying out as each lash bit into her flesh, but rather making some soft sound. The TM never hesitated in the cadence of the lashing, rather focusing closely on the sound to identify it. When she recognized that Tala was, in fact, singing softly under her breath, it infuriated the TM. I can change that. Ah! 
When there was slightly less than three hours left of Tala's punishment remaining, one last time Jessica unchanged the correct tea and handed her the cloth. As they moved along the halls, the TM observed Tala. It was obvious that the young woman known as the Untouchable One was learning a lesson. The lesson that there would always be things and times in life to remind her that no one in Lothos Complex, not even she, was not beyond the reach of correction or pain. Once back in the cell, Tala found within herself the grit and determination to endure the last three hours of punishment in silence. Jessica, having resumed using a single lash whip, maintained a steady pattern until at last, Lothos spoke a single word. Time. As every correctee was required to do, Tala signed the completion order, acknowledging that she understood the reason for her punishment. For the last time, she took the cloth, now streaked with her own blood and sweat, and wrapped it around her body. Exiting the correctional facility, Jessica took her charge to the whirlpool area of the infirmary and gave her to the attendant on duty. As was required, Tala, like all correctees at the completion of their punishment, would have a medicated bath before being allowed to dress and go on about her daily life. Let's see. New arrival. This is... Tala? Tala, what are you doing here? What? Who... Who are you? Tala. It's me. It's JC. JC? Don't you recognize me? No. Please. I want to go home. You have to stay here. It'll be okay. I'm... I'm here. I... I'm afraid. Please, JC, I want to go home. It's alright, Tala. I have to go check something out. And I'll be right back. Okay? You... We'll come back. Promise? That's what friends do, Tala. I'll be back. I promise. Deborah Henderson wasn't breaking any land speed records getting back from her break. When she finally arrived back to the ICU, she saw Sarah, noticing immediately that the other nurse looked a bit tense. Sarah Ann, what's wrong? I don't like it that Dr. Malvision is in the ICU. What are you talking about? It's tense. He came by to check in on her and he brought flowers. Even though the rules say no flowers in here. Period. No exceptions. But... You know how Thames is. 
but I know you know how Dr. Hugin is about the rules. Go ahead and take your break and get some supper. I'll go have a talk with him. Thanks, Deb. Deborah's sharp gaze skimmed over the notes the other nurse had just made in Zoe Malverson's chart. Closing the file, she looked up and across the way to the wide-open doorway of Unit 2, now occupied by Zoe. There was also no missing the familiar figure of Thames standing at the foot of the bed and studying the patient. All right, Thames. Let's you and me have a little talk. As she crossed the brief space between the nurse's station and the open doorway of Unit 2, Nurse Henderson noticed how Thames moved around to one side of the bed, then just stood there, looking down at the sleeping redhead. Seeing the way he reached out to touch the patient's cheek so sweetly, Deborah cleared her throat a bit, glad to see him withdraw his hand at the unspoken warning. Moving to the bed with a light, sure touch, Nurse Henderson took hold of Zoe's wrist to take her pulse. It was strong and steady, then checked her blood pressure. After noting the information in the patient's chart, she turned her attention to Thames. I must ask you to remove those flowers. I'm sure that you're aware of the rule against any plants or flowers in the ICU. Honey, you don't know this woman like I do. If she finds out that somebody brought her white roses and she didn't get them... (sighs) Get used to it, baby. Thames smiled softly to himself and tilted his head slightly to one side as he continued to study his partner as she slept. You like to think, or at least tell people you operate alone, Zoe. Damn sure I want to be there the day you tell that to Lothus. Hearing footsteps moving toward him, Thames presumed it was the same nurse coming back to tell him again about the flowers. Round two. Feeling certain this nurse would be as easily dispatched as the first two, Thames shifted his gaze towards the open doorway. The confident smirk on his face faded when he found himself face to face with a dragon he had encountered on several previous occasions. As the woman marched into the room, he spared a quick glance at the dragon's name tag. Dorothy Hendricks, Senior RN, ICU. He took a deep breath, deciding that he wasn't going to let her get the best of him. (laughs) That's what he thought anyway. Look, I just came to bring Dr. Malveson some flowers. Get out and take the flowers with you. If no one has ever told you, Thames, which I find highly unlikely, I'm telling you now. No flowers or plants of any sort are permitted in ICU, period. Didn't you hear what I said? Perhaps you didn't hear me clearly, Thames. So I'll say it again, slowly. Take those flowers and get out. Dr. Malverson will be moved to general care when she wakes. Then, and only then, if you'd like to give her the roses, you may. Or you may put them in the general area right now, and I'll make sure she obtains the roses. But... No, Thames. I said out, and I meant out, and right now. In that case, I'll call Dr. Hugan, and you can discuss it with him. For a minute, Thames weighed his options. Should he tell Nurse Hendricks what had dispensed with the others and risk a scene which might or might not get him called to central control? The observer decided he didn't want to think about what such a summons might result in. In the end, he opted for the one that would entail the least possibility of physical pain. Glancing over at Zoe again, Thames gave the dragon a polite smile as he, white roses in hand, exited the ICU. At the central nursing station nearer the main doors leading into the infirmary proper, he stopped one of the nurses there and handed the roses to her. Please put these in some water. They're for Dr. Malveson in ICU, providing she ever gets out of there. Hopefully she'll get them before they wither. 
working up in the gardens 12 to 14 hours a day, outside all day, six days a week, regardless of the season, was, in Maxwell Robinson's opinion, the best of all jobs, bar none. Now, as midday approached and the temperature rose, Max had stripped off his shirt as he worked. By noon, as he headed for the garden entrance of the complex, Max was dripping sweat from his head to the low-slung waistband of his jeans. Pressing a button beside the double doors, he stepped inside the cool yet austere entrance and went to the guard's desk where he had always left his small lunch cooler. Hey, Max, how's it hanging, sweatmonger? <sighs> as well as it can be, Ken. Hey, give me a bottle of water out of my cooler, will you? Or do you really want to smell me up close and personal if I have to come round there and get it myself? Here, you and your smell just stay where you are. If I want to smell something bad, I'll take my shoes off. <laughs> so a hug is out of the question, eh? Oh, man, is that good. So, what's been going on down in the salt mines while I've been out in the heat? Well, you heard about Dr. Malvison, right? Should I have? You don't know, then. Know what? Boy, where have you been in the last 30-odd hours? Working, sleeping, pretty much in that order. I've been mowing this morning since the crack of dawn. Then you haven't heard about Dr. Malvison? What do you mean? She's in the ICU, fighting for her life. What? Yeah, that's what a lot of people thought when they found out. I got it from one of the interns yesterday morning in the cafeteria when I was getting some coffee. What happened to her? She was shot in the back while on a mission. Can you believe it? Are you serious? Max, kidding about Dr. Malvison getting shot is not something I joke about. Hey, Max, where are you going? And you forgot your water. Put it up for me, will you? There's something I've got to do. Outside, Maxwell Robinson hurried to one of the rose gardens, where he clipped three blooms from two particular rose bushes. One a creamy white, the other a deep blushing pink which he had planted especially for Dr. Zoe Malverson. They had become acquainted some six and a half years ago through a chance encounter in this very rose garden. It was a friendship that the young gardener knew wouldn't be understood by most. Yet as he pressed a button for the entrance and waited to be readmitted, a single thought was foremost in his mind. You'll fight and win, Miss Zoe. I'll be back. Consider this part of my lunch break. I'll mark your card for you. From his seat behind the guard station's desk, Kenneth Darby watched Max Robinson enter one of the elevators across the wide area, entertaining a particular thought that he'd pondered many times. Of course, the thought would never cross his lips, even though he knew there were a whole lot of people who privately referred to the red-headed Spitfire by that title. Just how the hell did you come to be on a first-name basis with the Queen Bitch of Mean, Max? The elevator made several stops as it descended towards the twelfth level. Each time, Max politely stepped back, trying to keep his distance from the ladies that entered and exited the car at each stop. When the elevator finally arrived at the twelfth level, Max walked quickly to the information desk located across from the elevator bank. Excuse me, Mum. Would you tell me if Dr. Malvison has been moved out of ICU yet? I know that ICU can't have flowers. But if she's in the general ward, I should like to give her these. Well, you seem to have excellent timing, young man. 
Dr. Malvison is being settled in in a semi-private room as we speak. Then I can see her? I'm sorry, but no. Visiting hours aren't for another four hours. However, if you like, I'll have someone put these lovely roses in a vase and put them in her room for you. I have to be back up in the gardens in about twenty minutes, and I'll be up there until dark. So you can see why I was hoping to give these to Miss Dr. Malvison now. Forget the flowers on the Red Witch. I'd settle for you, hot stuff. I'm sorry, sir, but those are the rules. The moment the good-looking young man began to speak, Hazel Baker had prepared to be firm with him, but didn't get the chance. All she had to do was watch as he placed the roses on the counter, thanked her politely, and turned to go to the elevators. A thought occurred to her, and she toyed with it for about twenty seconds, then acted on it as she turned to the receptionist. Judy, put these in some water and keep them here on the desk until later. As Judy took the flowers, Hazel moved around the desk and hurried after the young man with the come-hither dark blue eyes. Never mind where her imagination was at that moment. Sir, sir, just a moment. Yes? I was just about to go in and check to see if they'd finished settling Dr. Malvison. Now, it would only be for a minute, but you're welcome to come with me. Thank you. A minute is about all I can stay anyway. I just wanted to see for myself that she's okay. Come with me. Nurse Baker entered the main doors set to one side of the reception desk and led the way into the ward area of the infirmary. Moving briskly, she made several turns, keeping one ear tuned keenly to the sound of the steady stride slightly behind her. At a ward door marked rooms 1255 through 1275, she entered, then turned right and went to the last door at the end of the hall. As the pair reached room 1259, the room's door opened as a couple of orderlies maneuvered an empty gurney into the hall. A third man, a nurse, trailed behind it. Hey, Hazel, what's up? This is Dr. Malvison's room. Did they just put someone in the other bed in this room? Yep. Uh, Miss Talawathaman. She had a 24-hour correction and ended up with temporary hysterical amnesia. A correctee? Why not keep her on the other side in the overnight ward with the other correctees? Because Lothus ordered that she be admitted overnight, he also specifically ordered that Miss Lothaman be put in the same room as Dr. Malvison. Go figure. I've got to get back to the ER. Take it easy. Okay, Damon. Uh, catch you later. Excuse me, Mum. Nurse Baker? Hmm? Mum, you said I could look in on Miss Dr. Malvison for just a minute. I really don't mean to rush you, but I've got to be back at work in less than ten minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, come in, but don't say anything. Remember, just for a minute. Yes, Mum. As the nurse drew the curtain between the two beds, shielding the room's newest occupant, Max's gaze was drawn to Zoe. You can come closer. But as soon as I finish checking her vital signs, you'll have to leave. Max nodded his understanding, then for the minute that he had in here, forgot about the nurse, focusing on his friend's face. The paleness of Zoe's skin was made more starkly evident by the contrast of her dark auburn hair against the pillow. Noticing a strand that had fallen over her brow, Max reached to brush it back, then saw his hand scratched and dirty from his work, and drew it back. Moving to the opposite side of the bed, Max leaned over and whispered softly to his friend. Don't you give up, Miss Zoe. You're strong. I know you can beat this. When he noticed her eyebrows furrowing slightly, Max held his breath, afraid that he had disturbed his sleeping friend. 
but the frown faded away, and he decided his minute was up. Without any prompting, he turned and started for the door. As he passed the foot of the first bed, something prompted him to glance round the not-quite-fully-drawn divider curtain at the room's other occupant. His only thought as he exited the room was... Wow, two redheads in the same room. I wonder if she likes roses, too. You've been listening to Quantum Retribution, Episode 108, All Roses Have Thorns. Featured in this episode were Steve Anderson as Tims, David Alt as Lothus and the announcer, Bruce Busby as Senior Officer Kenneth Derby, Kim Giannopoulos as Deborah Henderson, Gwendolyn Jensen-Woodard as Nurse Hazel Baker, Natasha Lathrop as Nurse Hazel Anderson, Damaris Mannering as TM Jessica, David MacGyver as Damon Beechwood, Brian Oldham as JC, Chris Snyder as Maxwell Robinson, April Sadowski as Sarah Ann Lutherson, Fiona Thrail as Dorothy Hendricks, and MJ Cogburn as Tala Lotheman. Written and produced by MJ Cogburn and C.E. Crowick. Post-production by MJ Cogburn. Executive producer for Docker Projects is Eric Busby. Theme music is available for download at SoundDogs.com. Other music composed and performed by Kari Hartwig and Kevin McLeod. This has been a Darker Projects production.